Welcome to the Athletics of Business, a podcast about how the traits and behaviors of elite athletes and remarkable business leaders frequently intersect. The real stories and hard lessons to help you level up your leadership and performance. Now your host, Ed Molitor. Welcome to the Athletics of Business podcast, and I am your host, Ed Molitor. Today, we welcome a man who needs no introduction here in Chicago, head men's basketball coach at Loyola University of Chicago, Porter Moser. In this, his seventh season at Loyola Chicago, Porter had his most successful year with a 32-6 and record, including a Missouri Valley Conference regular season and postseason tournament title, as well as an appearance in the Final Four as a number 11 seed. Loyola advanced to its first Final Four since the 1963 national title year after a 78-62 win over number nine, Kansas State. Loyola became only the fourth number 11 seed to reach the Final Four after LSU in 1986, George Mason in 2006, and VCU in 2011. Porter, welcome. Hey, Ed. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's great. It is great to have you here. I appreciate you um, carving some time out of your, your busy schedule. How crazy has it been and has it slowed down at all since March? No, it hasn't slowed down, but it's, uh, it's been a good crazy. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're pursuing and chasing, you know, a dreams and where we're trying to go to, you can't complain when you get there about everything that comes along with it. And it's been nuts, but it's been a fun nuts. That's just different going in different directions. And, you know, you're balancing recruiting, you're balancing, uh, you know, development, your, your players are here. Um, you know, you're still trying to develop your players, your new guys. Um, so it's been one thing after another. But you, you can't complain. If that's what you're chasing, you can't complain and and regret it when all those things that come along with it. So you talk about the new guys coming in. And how different of a challenge is it when you have, I believe you have, what, six, six new guys coming in this year? Yeah, that's, you know, I've been asked that a ton. And one of the things that, the whole country saw is was our unselfishness or how close knit group we had the chemistry people always said to me he said man it looked like you guys are like like they were like brothers that your team was so close and that and it was it was a huge our chemistry our culture our connected goodness has been something that was a positive but that doesn't happen overnight you got to work at that so this summer i've challenged all our, our veterans and i'm like you, we have to be obsessed with getting that back. You know, I, I'm not talking about getting back to the final four. I'm not talking about winning the Missouri Valley. We've been obsessed about our culture being connected, bringing you know, like connecting these new guys with the old guys because we're going to need the new guys. And that's what our focus has been on with those new guys getting here. And then they're going to have to learn like the the culture of the terminology and the, the little things that we do. But I think it, you got to start being connected, and that's what we've been working on since they've they've been here. Which which is unbelievable because I I think you and I agree on a lot of things when it comes to building greatness. And you talk all the time about the process. And is it safe to say that the run you had last year, the success you had last year, was a byproduct of the process of you guys doing things the right way consistently? No question. I mean, it's fun to look back and hear the guys and all the interviews that they did. And it would just naturally come out of their mouth talking about the process. And we just, 
people ask, how did, how did you not get too far into the moment? How did you rein the guys in because it was like a reality show? And we really just thought about what was right in front of us. There was so much pressure at heading into the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament because nowadays they start talking about first four in, you know, last four out. They start talking about that in January. And there was so much buildup yeah. talking about the automatic or getting a bid, having to win the tournament to get the NCAA tournament. That it was a great example of not focusing too much on the end. And the process was the process we talked about was right in front of us. And we, everything we talked about was Northern Iowa, the first game of the Missouri Valley tournament. Everything was about that. Then we had, we, our process was this game goals. We had a process from the beginning of the year that we set game goals. You know, we had four or five each game and they varied. And the process was we were going to try to win those game goals. And that's what we'd focus in on. And that was, that became part of our process. Our process was these get better tapes. We had, um, we started out, we obviously we tape every practice. And then the next day we start with 15 clips of get better tapes. And then the intangible tapes, 15 clips of the intangibles. And our process was those tapes. And we were going to go through that process. Like even after we beat Miami in the first round, you have a small window to prep for Tennessee. And we were all guys were like, all right, let's watch our get better tape. They wanted to see what we could do getting better from the Miami. And whatever your process is, I think it's so important for those guys to believe in the process, to be so focused on that. And, and our guys was what our process, we had a certain way about our process and it was taking care of business of what was right in front of us. And it was, you know, and you said this back in October, I believe it was in a press conference before you even started playing games. And it might've actually been right before you started practicing. You said this team is fun to watch for that very reason. I mean, you, you guys always seem to make the extra pass. You always seem to stretch the defender to where you need to do, to do that. But it, it was such a fun team to watch and it was so selfless. And that was the thing. They seem like a very coachable team. And that's not just something that all of a sudden guys show up on campus and, Hey, I'm a coachable player. But I think the way you guys recruited had a lot to do with that. Can you talk into the fact that you recruited people that were winners and that knew how to win? Well, my, my journey as a coach, I've, I've been a head coach at three different schools and all three had to be a turnaround. They were in last place, you know, Little Rock, Illinois state, Loyola, all uh, we, we had to have a turnaround. And this was, you know, some of the things we sat down and wanted to go, bring in guys that have won before, come from winning programs, winning cultures, because they've tasted it. And we sold them on coming in and doing a turnaround. Um, you know, my experience is at Creighton. You know, we were the first team to win 20 games three years in a row. We turned it around. We had a group of people that, you know, wanted – to leave their mark, leave their impact. And we sold that here, but it's not easy. You know, it's, it's gotta be a relentless pursuit, a consistent, persistent pursuit. But these guys, you know, let's just look back at Ben Richardson and Dante Ingram, two of our seniors that just graduated. They both won state championships from their prospective high schools. They got here their first year. We won 24 games, won the CBI championship. That was just becomes who they are about winning. Over their four-year span, they won 89 games. That's the most in a four-year window in 30-some years. 
they won the championship. But it was about the we, not the me. And you just saw that. And then when you have a group of guys that feel like that, that's when it really became special. And they were unselfish. And they didn't care who got the credit. Um, and all those things became who we are. And that was, you know, I just think when you, you know, I've said this many times too, culture is a big word for me and I've, I've used it and I've lived it of building this program up. But if you want culture, you got to hire culture, mm. hire coaches that are going to be passionate about your message and you got to recruit culture, you know, recruit guys that it's ingrained in them and who they are is that they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. They come from winning programs. And that is something that we believe in. I believed in as the leader of the program. Which you, you've done an incredible job and it's almost made your job more challenging when you talk about hiring the right coaches, because, you know, when you were an assistant for Rick and when you were an assistant for, for Tony at, at Texas A&M and, and for, for Rick at Wisconsin, Milwaukee, you were always one of the most highly respected coaches, assistant coaches in the country because of your tenacity, because of your work ethic, and really because of how passionate you were about developing relationships with the kids and their coaches and their families. But as you hired assistants and you did a great job mentoring them, at Loyola, there was a time when your budget was tight. It wasn't easy to keep great assistants. How were you able to, you know, lose an assistant and then turn right around? Because sometimes their their departure was not very, it wasn't very timely, right? And how were you able to go ahead and bring someone else on board that fit into your culture? Because you weren't going to compromise what you were trying to build. Well, you know, hiring assistants is, I, I have, I didn't, I've always stayed true to what, values I wanted as an assistant. You know, I didn't want to just hire a guy to get me a player. I've never felt that. I, I, I had a coach tell me at a young age, don't hire somebody if you can't get in the car and drive three hours with them, you know, and, and be able to shoot the breeze and talk to them and, and feel like, you know, that you, you have a, con, uh, a connection. And I've stayed true to what I wanted. I, I've wanted assistants that want to become head coaches. I've, I have assistants who have to have an energy level to recruit an energy level, uh, to, to coach, um, a work ethic, a bounce to their step. Um, and I like guys that have had been in good, good programs. Um, but I've always stayed true to that. And some people hire for various, various different reasons. And I've stayed true to it's just like my recruiting model of what are the kind of guys I want to recruit. Mm -hmm. And I, I've stayed true to that. What I wanted out of an assistant, and took my time with it. You know, it's a hard process, but I've, I've never rushed it. Um, and because uh, it, I think it's huge. I think hiring is such a big part if you're going to have an extension of yourself, because I can't be around all the time. I've got to trust. I always had this as a, a mantra. I've always said to myself, I've, I've got to be able to walk by my assistant coach's room, see him meeting with a player and have 100% trust that that message is the same message that would be coming out of my mouth. So when I hire assistants, I go, could I, would I feel that way? Right. Walking past his office, seeing him talking to a player behind closed doors and trust that. So there's certain things that I've just stayed true to. And I think it's so important to have that extension of you, especially when you're building culture, because it is a 24 seven all year round relentless pursuit of, of having your vision and your culture 
spread. And it can't be a one-man job. It can't be just me. And my assistants have been crucial in this, this you know, quest for where we're taking this program. And you, it's not a one-man job. And the thing is, I, I don't think when people look from the outside into the college basketball world or, or whatever sport, regardless of the sport, but they understand how you're actually the CEO of an organization. Let's be real. College basketball, it is a business and, and you are the driving force behind that. But building the culture is 24 seven and something that, um, people talk about that you've done an amazing job with is, uh, and you and I talk about books all the time and, and, um, is building the culture, every person that has anything to do with the organization. I mean, it could be anybody. And it could be the people that work in, in the front office of your, of your basketball office. It could be uh, the people, the students. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen, I, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen a coach so um, committed to getting people in the stands when there are so many challenges to do so. I mean, that took a lot of time and energy, but you absolutely drove the culture with the students, with the administrators. Um, you recruit in a landscape. I mean, you changed the landscape of Chicago, um, of recruiting Chicago basketball. How hard was that to do? Or was it something that you just absolutely embraced and had fun doing? No, I mean, a little both. I mean, you know, when you embrace, to start with the latter part of it, of, of embrace and having fun doing, you know, it's like driving towards my goals is fun for me. Even, even the tough parts because, you know, of my vision of where I want to go. So, I mean, it's been documented. I've done everything from pass hot dogs out uh, <laughs> on game day during the lunch hours to, to telling people that we have a game that night. Um, freshman orientations come through. Um, all in the summer, the incoming freshmen come through orientation. There's six different sessions. I, for like last five to six years, I've spoken all the freshman orientations coming in there and it, like begging the freshmen to jump on board um, the athletic department. I've, I've done everything. I've gone to dorms. I've gone to, you know, um, heck, I, dr I dressed up in the wolf costume, you know, the Loyola <laughs> Rambler mascot costume and did a, did a, the wobble dance in front of the students. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's just, it's just, it's been a relentless pursuit for that. Um, and I think that's, that's something that, um, it's a brand. Like I've had a vision of what I want the Loyola basketball brand to be. You talk about the business side of it, the CEO side of it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's marketing, it's selling your brand. It's, it's having people buy into that brand. And, you know, I, I have a brand that I want is high energy. I want a high character. I want, I want people to, to feel that we've done it the right way. That's the brand I want. And there's nothing been more satisfying to me than when Loyola University about, you know, took out an ad in the Chicago Tribune. It was a full page ad and it had the brand. It had my picture with myself and six student athletes in their cap and gown. And it talked about all the record numbers that we had this year, the champion. And it had uh, an emblem of us being tied with Harvard for the number one graduation rate in the country for three straight years and the final four emblem. And to me, that was a brand. It, it showed you that we're of excellence in the classroom and on the, on the court. And that's, that's the marketing part of it. That's the um, relentless pursuit of your vision that is it hard? Yes, it's hard, but it's also fun for me because I've been driving towards this. And I've just, in my mind, the fun part about it, when you go through the hard parts, is visualizing getting to that point. That's, that's fun for me. 
you know, and what you just said about the full page ad in the Tribune. Okay, first of all, you got about 25 minutes ahead of me in the podcast because that was going to be a question of mine, which is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but, you know, and for the listener that, do, that uh, may not know, Porter and I go back just a couple years. Uh, we, <laughs> a couple. We, a couple. A couple few. We uh, played together at Creighton. We coached together for a couple years at Texas A&M. And I consider him uh, not a best friend, but a brother. And I've seen... I've seen this whole thing sort of evolve and build. And I'm going to tell you, you've had a lot of cool tweets over the last you know, few years, but I don't know any that I've enjoyed more than when you put the ones up when everyone's in there capping down and you're taking uh, the picture of them on graduation day. And then when I see their parents tweet and I see the kids tweet and I see you tweet, because I think that speaks volumes to the authenticity of your program and of your mission and of your brand and of your culture. But here's my question for you. How challenging was it to stay true to that when you are in a business? I mean, let's be honest, as our, as our late friend Bill Gleason said to me once at a final four, he said, Eddie, basketball is a great game, but it's a shitty business. Okay. How, how challenging has it been for you to stay true to that when you know there are shortcuts you could have taken or there are no, you know, like, and we'll get to the, the Illinois State situation and going to work for Rick. There, you had options for easy way outs, but gosh darn it, you, you stay true to what you believe in. How hard was that to do, Porter? Well, there's always things that you can, you know, shortcuts that you can take. But, I, you know, one of the things of um, when I got the job here at Loyola is that the people here, I knew they were going to be patient with me because we both were agreeing, the administration, myself, that, you know, I don't want to bend on the type of young man we're going to bring into Loyola. You know, the academic side, um, getting student athletes, ones that have a, a passion to, you know, get a degree. I'm, I don't want to spend my time, you know, 24-7 dragging kids to class. And, you know, I, want, I don't want to put them in a position where they can't succeed here. Um, but also, I put my name on that. I put my name on the people. It reflects me. If I bring student athletes in here that don't give any hoot about uh, the academic part. And that's, that reflects myself. It reflects our program. And I didn't, I didn't want that as a place at Loyola. This place deserves, I'm not doing anything, but continue to add to the academic reputation here. And I wanted to show how athletics could be a positive for the university. And because sometimes academic schools, they don't, you know, they don't want that athletic to grow like that because its reputation is, athletic, is academic. I've had this vision and I've sold it to them as we can do both. We can do both. Athletics can be a front porch to the university. And what we just witnessed at the Final Four, I mean, you know, our admissions people just said it'll, it'll never be the same again at Loyola University. It'll never be. That's a, like a powerful statement. Well, it is. But what never what, be what about next year, though? Next year's admissions? I mean, are they telling you you're not going to get back to a Final Four? No, they, they meant like the admissions. <laughs> the admissions no. will never be the same. Yeah, no. And Did they give you some numbers on, on what the, uh, like the increased applications and all that? Because I was following that, but I never saw a final stat on that. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously, this incoming freshman is the highest it's ever been. But that's been going on for two or three years though at Loyola. Okay. It's not just this year, but it's, it's at record numbers. And the, they have all these numbers about, how many hits has been on the website that, that's like, like up like 500% on everything. It's like, 
it's it, it is out there the numbers and they're they're staggering Eddie it's really cool to see well so let me ask you this that buy-in okay how hard was that to get on the academic side because it's an amazing it is an amazing academic institution and you know that's a battle that's been going on for years before you even got there how hard was that for you and then when did you really turn the corner well i think you know one of the things is um and here goes my recruiting hat is i think it's a positive that we have small classrooms you know mm -hmm. it, it's a jesuit school there's small classrooms but having a jesuit education myself at creighton uh, it, you know one of the things that um i just there, it wasn't hard for me because there was a certain type of person i wanted to be here you know i I tell you, one of the breakthroughs was this. When I got the job at Loyola, there was one Illinois player on my roster, and but there hadn't been a Chicago Public League player for 11 or 12 years. And it was David Bailey. So it went David Bailey, then like 12 years, Loyola of Chicago did not have a Chicago player, which is crazy, mm -hmm. from the Public League in there. So one of the things that I found was hard right out of the gate was, and I said this to my administration, I said, do you know that within certain circles of Chicago, certain demographics, Loyola was perceived, their academics was a negative to the student athlete. And they looked at me like, what? I said, yeah, I'd go recruiting into the public league and they'd be like, oh man, it's too hard for some of these kids. That was a perception that I had to break down right out of the gate. So then I, I've started you know, pursuing like, God, you're gonna get this much help, small classrooms, you know, so Milton Doyle was our first Chicago Public League player, and Milton graduated. And that's one of my most rewarding pictures I have in my coaching career is Milton in his cap and gown, yeah. bear hugging me with a big smile on his face, <laughs> and his mother, Lisa. But that opened the door. You know, people are like, man, you can go there. And then Dante Ingram. Dante Ingram just walked with his cap and gown. Lucas will walk in his cap and gown. Williamson from Whitney Young. So these, these young kids, that, that perception, that barrier that is too hard, no. You can get an, it's a positive. You can get an unbelievable degree at Loyola Chicago. And I just think it, it people get, you know, they'd never let someone shortchange them in athletics with their perception, a student athlete. So I was like, why shortchange yourself of what you think you can do academically? I mean, you can do this. And that was a barrier that I broke down early. And Milton Doyle was the first that helped me break it down. And is it safe to say that, I don't want to say the floodgates open, but is it safe to say that now there's that understanding out there, that part of the process, like you're over that hump, so to speak? Yeah, we do, the, it isn't a negative anymore. I mean, people look at it as a positive because nowadays you got to, I mean, it is. Once you hang up those basketball shoes and, and you know, everybody nowadays, Eddie, I mean, no matter who I'm recruiting right now, wants to play after college. I mean, it's, you're not going to find very, very rarely you're going to find anybody. You go into my locker room right now, all 13 scholarship players want to play after college, but it's not realistic, but you got to sell them on someday. You're going to hang up those shoes. And when you do, you have to have a great degree and it's not hard anymore. You know, breaking down those, you know, talking that we talk about that openly. We talk about, you know, you know, the, the, the connections of having a loyal degree. And uh, so you know, I, that, that, that's been, that's been nothing but a positive now. Well, and, and it all goes along with what we were talking about earlier, getting the right people on board. Um, you know, and it's not that, that people are your biggest assets. It's the right people are your biggest assets. And I remember being at an event this fall, uh, this past fall before the season, 
uh, in Naperville, and you said something. It was pretty. It was pretty interesting. There's all these folks sitting there waiting to hear about the team and waiting to hear about the season, and all you could talk about was how high character kids, how many high character kids that you had. You know, you would talk about a recruit you brought in, but he's a better person than he is a player. And the thing is, you're not paying lip service to that. How big of a difference does that make to you and your ability to coach them and teach them and help them get to the next level and not so much next level in terms of playing pros after college, even though that's what everybody aspires to now, but get to the next level academically, socially, family-wise, you know, growing as a man. I mean, how much of a difference does that make? Well, it, it, it's, it's, it was fun to see the journey of, like you mentioned nothing, another thing earlier in the podcast about how I said in a press conference before the season that we were fun to watch. And like the whole country kind of saw it at the end and saw the, how the character for our team. But it's something that this has been by design with us. This is something that we have seen for a while. And I just think is when you're doing a, a, a business, when you're in a position to hire people and in a position to have people working for you and with you, that there's, there's a difference between successful people and non-successful people. And that's part of it when you hire and you recruit is you want to have those traits of successful people. And I've looked at that in the recruiting process and I've started with character. I just think in, in, in the world of college athletics and in anything, you're going to go through so many ups and downs, so many twists and turns, so many roadblocks with adversity. And I believe in my soul that how you handle adversity, you know, defines your character mm-hmm. and define and that's why I've set out. To, I wanted high character guys. I have these guys, you know, this from the way we run the program from when we were with coach Brony, and Mrs. Brony. It's, it's a family atmosphere. We have them over at my house. I have four kids. I have four kids that have come through my basketball camp. Two of them are still going that the players are around so much. I wanted that family that were, you know, that I'd want them to be around. I want them in my house. I'm not going to sacrifice bringing low character people into this, into the program. And that's been from the jump. And every year now we're, we're, we're not bending on the character, but we're getting more and more talented kids with character. And that's how it's grown. And, um, but that's, that's been by design, Eddie, is, is characters at, at, at the root of um, a characteristic of the recruiting process. In, in how much time do you spend to them? And you, yes, you have high character kids, but we all, you know, everyone's going to have challenges. Everyone's going to have flaws. How much time do you guys spend about, uh, cause I really do work a lot with my clients on, you know, how you act and how you behave away from the office is how you're going to perform at the office. So, you know, who you are off the court is who you're going to be on the court. Do you spend a lot of time talking to your kids about that? Yes. What we do is we have a bulletin board and you walk in our office and Every time a student athlete in the country gets in trouble or something, like it's on ESPN, and we 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 put make a copy of it, we put it on the board, and we talk about it. Look, this kid, you know, he did this, did that, what he did ever. We we don't have a million team rules, but we have a picture in our locker room. It's all of us in a circle, interlocked arms with Sister Jean saying a prayer, just like the whole country saw how we did before every game. Right. And it said the three rules. It says number one is protect the team. That talks so much. We talk about what that simple statement means. It, it talks about, you know, like we just, we just talked about it the other day. 
we talk about protecting the team <laughs> and about, uh, you know, off the floor, if you're doing things you're not supposed to be doing, if you're, you're not protecting the team because our reputation, our brand and what we stand for now, does that mean our, our, our guys aren't going to make a mistake? No, just like how, you know, with your own family, with your own kids, your kids will make a mistake, but you achieve what you emphasize. You achieve what you emphasize. And we are constantly emphasizing doing things right on and off the floor. If you put, it's like your homework and your acting, your grades. You know, if you put your name on something, make sure it's the best damn product you can possibly do. And we have talked about that with, with our academics. I'm so darn proud. Every sport at Loyola, all 13 Division I sports, had a team GPA over 3.0 this that, spring semester. That's insane. And all 13 sports had a team GPA. We missed so much class due to the NCAA run, but we, we talked about it so much. We were communicating with our professors. When we got back, everything was about the way we operate is do things better than it's ever been done before. And if you put your name on it, have it be representative of you as a man. And that's been something of how we, we've talked about. And this, um, but it, it's been protecting the team that goes a long way of talking about things off the floor as well. Right. Right. And, and you're, you're, you're preparing them for, for life after hoops and you're preparing them for, um, you know, whatever, whatever field of endeavor they want to go in. I mean, whether it's business, whether it's medicine, whether it's law, um, but, but you see that and it's just, you could tell by the way they communicate. That's another thing. The authenticity to me is unbelievable. And, and I believe authenticity comes down to honesty plus integrity and not just being honest with yourself. But when you watch you guys play, the way those kids and the way the coaching staff and everybody communicated to each other, and, and I, I had the good fortune of coming to watch you practice a couple times, and, and I saw you practice the day before you went down to Bradley this year at the end of the year, and it was a rough practice, and things weren't going that well for a period of, you know, a little, little stretch of time, but they still listened to each other. They may not have liked what the other one had to say, but they listened, or they may not have liked what you were going to say to them because they were making mental errors, but they listened. And let's go back to how we started this conversation to in the huddles. Okay. In the final four run in, in, during the, during the tournament, I've always believed, and I believe it was coach Krzyzewski that said this in his book, leading with the heart that the coach, the head coach has to be the face that his team needs. And a team absolutely is a direct reflection of the head coach. How was it that you and your team were able to keep your composure and win so many close games. And is that, again, I go back to the byproduct. Is that a byproduct of all the really cool things that we just talked about doing things the right way? Yeah, there, there's a lot that goes into, into answering that question. And, you know, one of the top things is, is a lot of times, you know, people use those terms, hey, he's an old school player or all that, or kids nowadays are softer. and You can't get on this kid and you can't, you know, you know, it's not true. Kids want to be coached. They want to be pushed. But now more than ever, they got to know love and trust is there. And that's where I think some people nowadays, they just, oh, I can't get on this kid. But they don't spend any time building a relationship, building that love and trust. And I think that's what Dante Ingram knows. I can get, I can push Dante as hard as I can push him. And, but he knows I love him. He knows I'll do anything for him. And I think that's some things where in adversity, you know, you, you, I can hold people accountable. I always told, you knew my father, uh, Ed, yeah. um, 
and you know, he's CEO of Moser Enterprises, but he told me something at a young age that I told, tell my players all the time when they walk into this program. It says, my dad told me, he's like, you know, you really know when someone loves you, when they tell you something you don't want to hear that benefits you. And when you think about that, when, right. when you tell somebody something that they don't want to hear, but it benefits you. And like, that's hard. Being a leader, holding somebody close to you accountable is not an easy job. I tell that to my captains every year. Right. Accountability isn't, leadership isn't for everybody. You know, it's hard. It's hard to hold a teammate accountable. It's hard to hold an assistant coach accountable. All right. But if you're going to be in those, if you're going to be a leader, those are things you have to do. And I have found building love and trust is the best way to be able to hold people accountable when it's time. And I just think that's something in the adverse times we've had close games. Here's something that, that went unseen that I just spoke to a, a corporation. I, I was brought in to speak to a group in the Chicago and I told them, I go, what, what people didn't see during the Tennessee game is they came out in the first five minutes and just popped us in the mouth. Yeah. I mean, we were getting, the first four minutes was, it was like 14 to two. Mm -hmm. And I called the timeout and in the entire season, I never got after our team harder than I got after that team in that 30 seconds. I, brought everybody in close because <laughs> there's me, you know, nowadays they get the sideline reporters trying to yeah. get inside your yeah. huddle. I got in, I got everybody close and I absolutely went off, went off to where sometimes on that stage in that moment, some kids could get their feelings hurt. You yep. could have got sensitive, like, Hey, not on this stage, you know, man, we'll coach tripping right here, mm -hmm. but literally walked out of that huddle. And they're like, you know, you're right. You're right. Because there was love and trust. Mm -hmm. And we went, we held them 24 points that half and they had 14 in like the first three minutes. Yep. And that's, that was an example that we knew behind the scenes that nobody else saw. Nobody else saw that. I mean, it was, I'd never went off on them harder than I did in that first time out of the Tennessee game, but it's, it's love and trust. And, and I'm pretty sure that after the game, those kids were able to joke about it with you too. Oh, you know how it goes. <laughs> we used to have with Coach Majerus. I mean, there's hey. the, every lunch, I mean, the imitations. Oh. oh, man, they got they got me down. I mean, you should see uh. some of the pregame meals that they're imitating me. I walk in and they all start uh. laughing. Oh, that's part of it. Hey, speaking of Coach Majerus, we're going to get there because we, 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 need to, we need to talk about a couple of your mentors. But I need to ask, where did you learn the hand-over-the-mouth trick? Because that's phenomenal. You know what? what? Um, I just – I just – you know, you see on TV, you know, the, the, the technology and the camera and, and right. you get so close to what you're saying yeah. that I just didn't want anybody to misconstrue what I was saying. <laughs> so I, I put the hand over the mouth so they can't read my lips and, uh, and I can really say what I want to say. Yeah, no, no, it's great. So let's talk, let's, let's go back if we can. And I just think there's so much value, value to your journey, Porter. And I, and I think there's a ton of value in the business world, especially, you know, nowadays. I think what we've done, and tell me if I'm wrong, though, we have sort of built this um, acceptance at a certain level um, for people not competing to a certain extent in 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 the corporate world because and I, and I, I think there's a lot of things that are responsible for that. But if you look at today's world, um, I think you're look, looking at the most competitive time in the marketplace. Um, I think you look at the, the job market and people more qualified will take your job for less money because they need the job. Um, I think you look down the road five to seven years, 
artificial intelligence is going to start replacing a lot of jobs. I think, I think people coming out of college now and people that are young in the business world, they need to compete on a daily basis and they need to compete to get better. And part of that is doing things that you may not want to do, but you know are better for you. And when, when you were um, unduly, I might add, let go at Illinois State, that was a complete debacle, but you took a step back. And can you talk about that decision-making process of what's next? Because you talk a lot about process and you talk about like, you know, what's next. So first of all, what went through your mind once you moved past what had just happened in terms of the next step in your career to get you to where you wanted to be? You know, obviously, adversity, that adversity at Illinois State. And I hope I've been a poster child for a lot of coaches. Um, when, when something doesn't happen, when you get fired, or whether it's coaching or your other, other world, I mean, what I've tried, what I tried to do, and you're going to go through the normal grieving mourning process. That's normal. I mean, it was tough. Um, but I, I got into this, what I call the competitive reinvention. Yeah. And it was a competitive reinvention. I'm competitive based on, you know, my whole life in athletics. And I was just like, you know what? This isn't going to define me. This, this I am not going to be defined by, because by, I felt I was doing the right things at Illinois State. I felt I had it going in the right direction. And it just so happened I had my third AD in three and four years. And that business part came in, you know, and he bought out three years of my, my uh, contract and hired his own guy. So. I wasn't going to let that define me. And I got into this competitive reinvention. And then two things kind of took over. One, my faith. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my faith is, is a very big part of my life. And I, I felt that God had a plan. Like there was going to be a bigger plan of why this happened to me. And wow, thank, you know, thank God my faith was strong at that time. Because look at what this led to me. That, that ended up being one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life. Was was really the at the time I thought was the worst thing that ever happened to me, and it, and that faith of believing that there was part of a bigger plan was so true. Um, the next part is I, I remember um, at another time of of uh, my career, you know what we went through at A and M, same kind of deal, you know, getting the losing your job, and I remember having a chance to I was offered two jobs. And one was at Little Rock where I knew nobody. I knew nobody. Mm-hmm. And one was in an area, Chicago area, where I knew everybody. It would have been right. funner to come here. It would have been, you know, better for my ego and everything. Right. But I remember going, I'm, I'm going to chance to work for a guy like Wimp Sanderson. Right. And I, 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 I did the choice based on what I thought I could learn the most and what the, was best for me. And not knowing anybody there. And then I ended up getting the head coaching job there. So... I sat there, I was able at that juncture, I had my faith and I'm like, my ego was saying, go be a, go be a head coach again. And I had another opportunity to go to a complete rebuild, a low, low division one that had major problems with some resources. Uh, it would have been a complete rebuild. Or then I had the opportunity to go with Rick Majerus. And I remember saying, my ego was saying, go be a head coach again. I've been a head coach at two different stops in the previous you know, seven years, I'm like, go be a head coach, prove to people. Or I'm like, I, I had so much respect for Coach Majerus. I'm like, or I can go learn. And uh, so I made that decision like I did the other one based on what I thought was best to grow and to learn. And that was the best for, it was unbelievable four years of learning, you know, a different side of the game. 
And I think there's, you know, you, you're a big reader too, Eddie. And I read, I read in a book, um, you know, successful people are lifetime learners. Right. I, I love that. I love that, that quote, lifetime learners. And, you know, you can't think you've arrived. I mean, I, I will be this summer, you know, I told my team, I am going to be obsessed with getting better this summer as a coach. You know, after the the highest pinnacle I've ever been on, my mentality is is going to be I want I want to I want to I want to get better this summer, have the best summer of getting better. Whether it's learning different things for our offense, defensively, maybe special situations, out of bounds, whatever it is, that's what it is. And and I felt that way was such a big part of my decision going with Coach Majerus. I felt I'm going to learn a ton, and I did. It was the best thing that ever happened. So let me ask you this, and I know. Um, which, you know, I'm looking forward to the book you're going to write at some point, because I know you won't share one piece of information from the journal, <laughs> from the journal. How, how many pages is that journal, by the way, of your time with Coach Majerus? Yeah, I, I journaled. I never journaled before. I, I probably got a couple hundred pages of stuff, notes and different stories and, and different things. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely, I've been approached. And, um, I, I just got to have the right time. I'm, I, I, I always even had the title of what I'm going to do it. It's going to be, you know, how that, that Steve Alford's book was playing for night. I was, I'm going to have a coaching with Majerus. And then this final four run, I'm somehow going to tie this final four run and my journey in the process with that, my time with him and connect it all. And I've been approached a couple by a couple people about doing it. I'm, I'm going to do it, Eddie. Well, I, there's not, trust me, I don't doubt that at all. You can't throw us a bone though. You can't throw a little nugget here to the Athletics of Business podcast of what might be in that journal. You know, I tell you, the, the, the journey with coach was amazing. And, mm-hmm. um, there's the, the experience side of it, like just going on a recruiting trip with them or sitting in his hotel room. You know, we lived in a hotel and talking ball and going out to eat. And there's that journey. Then there's the technical part of the stuff that I journal, but there's stories upon stories of just <laughs> our only, our classic coach Majerus and are yeah. just hilarious, fun, different. Um, and then, then, then there's the, the technical part of how he taught the game, the teacher that he was. Mm-hmm. And that was really just meaningful of how he taught the game. You know, and, and if I can, I don't want to segue away from Coach Majerus because there's so much to talk about. But one of the things that he was amazing, and I got this from you and, and from some folks that played for him and coached them. You know, Sean and Amy Parrish used to tell me so many stories about Sean's time at Ball State and then afterwards. And you know, one of the things Coach Majerus was so legit about was his relationships with people. And that's something that, I mean, you're, you're unbelievable. With. I mean, your, your authenticity and your relationships, your ability to write handwritten notes. But as we talk here about, you know, when you left Illinois State and something you still do to this day um, is how you'll pick up the phone when a coach gets let go. Um, and, and I got, I got to tell you, and I started to tell you this last time we saw each other, but we, we got interrupted. One of my favorite articles from the whole, the whole run in the final four, the one of the things that gave me goosebumps that was typical Moser, if you will, um, was when you're sitting in your room at the Westin with um, your coaching buddies the night, or I think it was two nights before your game at the final four. Um, you know, Chris Harriman and those guys were all up there and you were just talking about getting there and being there. And it came time for you to give a toast and you gave a toast to a guy who had just gotten his head first, his first head coaching job. Is that correct? Yeah. David Patrick. Yeah. Um, he just got the job right before the front. But that's what I was, I mean, it was, we were really good friends and I was just, it's so hard to get a head coaching job. And that's, that's what just went through my mind was, was I was just so happy for him. 
Right. And you were always great at relationships, but when you were with Rick, did you see that kind of go to another level between like how relationships connect and network everything inside of not just that business, but every business there is? It, it was, it was very good, but I, I, I was, I was blessed with, you know, having great relationships my whole life, my, starting with my parents, my brother's sister, my wife, Megan, uh, coach Baroni, Mrs. Baroni, um, just with, with the relationship part of it, it's, I mean, if you're going to go through this journey alone or not have great, um, relationships, it, I, I can't imagine how empty of satisfaction that would be. And, um, it just, it, you know, I think the ability to, uh, pay things forward, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, my, my faith about, you know, paying this journey forward to other people. I just, I just think it's the relationship side of this is, 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 is makes everything complete. I mean, how, how empty would this have been to not enjoy this journey with friends, family, you right. know, it's just, if you don't have great relationships in life. Right. And, you know, you mentioned Coach B and Mrs. B. And I, and I want to talk about, you know, him as a mentor to you as well and to me and um, our time at Creighton. I mean, you know, even at AM, but at Creighton, that's where it first dawned on me about um, how intentional you needed to be as a coach and a, whether you're an assistant or a head coach to include your family. Yeah, and I work on bit with business clients on this in terms of balance to include your family uh, into your career so they don't grow to resent it. And then in turn, you're going to end up resenting it. It is going to be empty. But how much of an impact did the way we were a family at Creighton? You just touched on that. But can you talk into that a little more? But how much that impacted the way you are uh, as a head coach now? You know, what, what you want to do is, is, is successful people along your way. You, you want to gather different things along your journey that, that, and, and make it part of who you are. You know, you don't try to be somebody else. Like I, I got the job at Loyola. I didn't, I didn't want to be coach Majerus. I wanted to take the things that I liked working for him and put it together. One of the things along the way was how we ran our program at Creighton and how we, you know, working for coach Brony, Mrs. Brony was the family atmosphere, the relationships, the, the running a program, you know, having them over at the house and that, that how we did that at Creighton and as close, I mean, guys were in our weddings and, you right. know, we, you know, I, I remember coach Brony read a wet, uh, reading at my wedding and I was a Paul Bear at his mother's funeral, right. you know? It, right. So taking how and Mrs. How Mrs. B, I started dating my wife, Megan, when we were at Texas A&M. So, you know, she got to see like four or five years working for or six years working for coach Brony. Right. You know, and Mrs. Mrs. Brony and watching how she was with the team and as a coach's wife and integral in the success of the program. And that's the way my, my wife learned that from them. And that's how we run our program. And, you know, I think you got to you got to along your journey, you, you've got to take what you like at your different stops, take what you you like and then become what you, your own person, you know, and and. I definitely started with that with the Bronies and how we ran uh, the Creighton program in Texas A&M. So how, how do you do it with your family? Just talk a little bit about the, the polls on your time because it ain't, it's not just basketball. I mean, you have, um, you know, four kids that are extremely, extremely active in sports. You have all sorts of things going on. You've been pulled in a million directions. How in the world do you find time to, to breathe, let alone to have balance? Well, one is, is that, um, is, is the balance. It's it, the balance has got to be important to you. 
Mm-hmm. And balance is very important to me. I know my roles of a father, a husband, uh, a Christian, all those things, those, those roles that mean a lot to me. And I, I so you got to want to have balance. My wife's unbelievable. I mean, she's, you know, Megan, I mean, she's unbelievable in all this. And one of the things that you, you know, there are certain things in your life that if it's important to you, you find time for. I don't even like using when someone says, oh, I, I got to spend quality time. Right. Hell, your, all your time should be quality time. Right. Why, why, why does, why does it all of a sudden that have to be quality time? What is quality? I mean, right. spending time, it should be quality time. Right. You know? If you're sitting there in a room and you're watching TV or you're on your, your phone, that's not even spending time. It's like, not, so, so don't say it's quality time or not quality time. And one of the things my wife, she, she got interviewed in this process. They did an article uh, about us, uh, Teddy Greenstein from the um, Tribune. He had a great quote from, from my wife. We were sitting around and I actually looked at her. and I said, that's a great line. And, that, and he even put that in the article. He did, yeah. She yeah. said, she said, you know, one of the things is Porter and I don't keep score. We just kind of fill in the gaps. And I I think that was the most apropos cool line that she said, because it is true. Like if I can race home from practice and stop by and and see a a, a game at night or a a practice and then take someone home and help her out and saying, you know, you just fill in the gaps for each other. And with that comes spending time with your kids. And it's, it, it comes down to the bottom line is, balance has got to be important to you. If balance isn't important to you, then you're not going to accomplish it. And balance is definitely important to me and part of why I feel it works for me. That, and it does, it does work for you. And it's not, and here's the thing, the way you, the way you make it sound, it's like so eloquent and so easy. It's not easy. It can, it can be a grind, but it, you know, you wouldn't have it any other way. So as we as we get set to, and I, I could talk for two or three more hours because I'm looking at my notes and there's about five bullets here that I didn't even get to. But I tell you what, one question I have to ask you as we start to wrap things up. So so you go to the final four, um, you bring in some great new recruits and you have some incredible returning players, returning people. Here you are. And one of the things we work on a lot, whether I'm doing my corporate on-site, off-site, whether it's coaching clients, is getting from where you are now to where you want to be and leveling up your greatness. And, you know, obviously working on sustained success. So how, what is your plan besides being obsessed with improving? What is your plan to say, to stay, excuse me, so dialed in and focused so you keep staying consistent and, and growing the program? Well, I, you, you have to focus in on the two things you felt that I have been focusing all along is our culture and the process. And, you know, I've, I've been asked so many times about recruiting. Are you going to be able to get mm-hmm. this level recruited here now? And, you know, when I was at the final four, I really learned something from something that Jay Wright said in 05 Villanova went to the final four. And he said, I felt tremendous pressure from the fan bases, from this national services that we can get five-star kids now. And he goes, we kind of lost our way. Right. And he goes, we've gotten back to recruiting Villanova type players, what makes Villanova Villanova. And I, I, I sat down with my staff and we got back. It was like, yeah, everyone's asking, are you going to get higher level recruits? You know, we've got to get what the same type of model of what has made us successful. We can't lose our way because we're feeling pressured to sign. Well, it's the same thing. I don't want to get obsessed with, we got to get back to the final four. I want to be obsessed with getting better, get chasing, you know, I loved what Joe Madden had with the Cubs, you know, embrace the target. 
You know, obviously we're going to have a target on our back. You know, everywhere we go in the Missouri Valley is going to be packed. Every, everybody's chasing us now, but that doesn't mean we're not chasing. You know, I think greatness doesn't have a finish line. And that became right. kind of one of our mantras, no finish line. Mm -hmm. And we want to stay chasing. We want to stay part of our process of getting better, stay true to our culture of doing things better than it's ever been done before with the way, the type of people we have. And I want to be obsessed with those things. And that's been part of our process. And that's what we've got to get back to or stay with, not get back to, but right. to continue with. Right, right. No, that's great. And you know, it's funny as I sit here, I'm writing some notes down as you talk. One of the things that I, I flash back to was some of our time together. And it didn't matter if we were playing horse, if we were shooting half court shots, if we were playing euchre, no matter what, you always seem to operate with a chip on your shoulder and a swagger, which is, which is awesome, you know? And is it hard or do you think it'll be a challenge for the kids to operate with that chip on their shoulder that they had this year? And not in, not in a negative way, but, you know, this is who we are. This is what we're capable of. And this is what we're going to go do. Is that going to be a challenge for them? You know what I loved? I loved when we started working out again with the returning guys. Yeah. I loved their mentality. It was like they tasted it. And they wanted more. And I think that's the thing about successful people mm -hmm. is they don't take that foot off the, ga the gas pedal. And I know you and I talk about books a lot. And we had, and it was in one of the articles, and I'm actually looking at it. He sent me a copy of it. Uh, Jim Collins wrote a handwritten note in, in Good to Great, one of the best, yep. one of the best books, um, business books that's ever been written. And yep. that opening line, I talk to my team about a lot. The opening line of the book is good is the evil of great. Mm -hmm. And I get chills when I think about that because I think successful people feel like they're always chasing. They, they feel like they're not taking that foot off the gas pedal because good is the evil of great. Because when you're okay and people start to take good, they take the foot off that gas pedal. Mm -hmm. And it's the evil of getting to, to greatness. Of, and so that, yes, it's always gonna be a challenge, but I like, how, I, I like where we're going with it, with our guys. I talked to you about our team rules. One is protect the team. Well, the second one has three parts to it. It says uh, no complaining, no excuses, no entitlement. And we are focusing this offseason on the third part of that, no entitlement. And that's something we've talked openly with our guys about, no entitlement. You know, we're not going to walk around Chicago, walk around this campus like we're the, the, the deal, you know. It's going to be about you know, still chasing, being humble, um, not think that anything's going to be handed to us or we deserve anything because of what we just did. We've got to be hungry and not entitled in the way we carry ourselves. And that's what we, that's part of our, our rules that we're focusing on this summer. That, that is, um, you know, it's just to hear you, to hear the positive energy and to hear the passion and not that I would expect any different when you talk about it and there's nothing about what you're saying um, where the program is going to get to that point of um, too cool or, or, you know, been there, done that. It's, we tasted it. We, we want it more. And that's, and that's pretty, I mean, that's, it, it, that's not easy to do, but it's, it's an amazing perspective uh, to have. And it's just, um, you know, I, I appreciate, I really appreciate taking as much time as you did today. And you've added, you've added some great stuff. And, and, you know, as we do wrap it up here and, and you, you still this season, mid season. Okay. Had some injuries. You had some uh, bumps, bruises. You had some nicks. Um, 
how did you guys get through that and just get to the point you were at when you went into um, the Missouri Valley Tournament with the momentum you had and had the successful march that you had? Well, you know, you have to have other people step up. You know, we, we had to, um, we, you, you had to have guys fill roles. You had to be able to handle adversity and not mentally, you know, that's the psychology part of it had to step in. You lose a couple of your key players for a, a part of it. Um, it shows you to the maturity of Ben Richardson. I was crushed for Ben yeah. when he broke his hand earlier in the season. And I mean, he worked so hard going to his senior year and he breaks his hand and he's going to miss about 10 to 11 games. He'll come back. And what he says to me, or this is in November, he goes, well, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, the, the way I'm going to look at it is it might give someone of these younger guys a chance to play, get better, and then we'll need them down the stretch. I mean, like that, that's hard to say for anybody, much less a 21 year old guy to handle adversity the way Ben Richardson handled that, breaking his hand. He looked at it like somebody else might play, not like someone's going to take my spot. It's all about me. That's literally what came out of his mouth. Right. And look how prophetic that was. Lucas Williamson got Ben's minutes. Right. Ben came back. Ben got right back in the starting lineup. Lucas Williamson was huge for us. The confidence he got when Ben was out, and then we kind of called him like, his, you know, that he was that we kind of sold it that like, hey, that's that's your little protege is, is Lucas. And Ben, defensive player of the year, we really started playing that up. And Lucas took started to take so much pride in his defense. Lucas was our second best defender this year. And he was huge. I mean, think about that steal in the Miami game. Lucas yep. is the one that got that steal yep. in the yes, Miami yes. game yep. uh, under a minute. And but that's you talk about handling adversity. Look how Ben Richardson handled that adversity. Mm -hmm. in terms of a winning culture, what his mindset was to help somebody else, you know, and I just think that that's the way we, we became. And, you know, when you, when it's about we and not the me, if that was about me, you don't think Ben would have been helping Lucas, right? He was helping Lucas while he was out. He was talking to him with his cast on his hand during the games the practice. He was, it was about the we and look how that paid forward for the whole team and everything. And I just, it's such a great lesson. And, and you said something in that, in that story right there, and it's a great story, but you said something about their roles. And that was one of the things that I missed touching on us real quick. How, how did you get, what is your secret sauce or what's your secret formula to getting your guys to buy into their roles and to be ready when their time is called? And that's, that's a great example right there, even though it did happen early in the season for Lucas, but, you know, how did you get guys to buy in your roles and to be ready to play and perform and to execute when they're called upon? That, that's the secret for anything is, is getting your group to work as a team and buy into different things. And um, I think, you know, you achieve what you emphasize. It's, it, it's through a lot of time. I mean, we, I, told, I touched on those the get better tapes, but those, those intangible tapes, you know, we sold the hockey assist, you know, you, you're going to get the in the stat sheet with the assist. But a lot of times we, we have what we call starting the domino where the, we, we get the defense really rotating and the, the pass that leads to the pass. Like we sold that. We sold that. We showed clips in practice of how important those little things were. And I think we just constantly sold all the little things. Like we have a thing, you know, from Steve Kerr, mm -hmm. you know, to go good, to go from good to great. It's all in the details. Everything matters. And we sold that, you know, we sold the, the, 
the little things and made guys feel great about doing it. I mean, about blocking out to where they just, and then they've showed, you know, we pulled them out after each game. Like, look at these little things that helped us win this game. And it makes you want to do those things. You know, we always, no matter what, we, we, were, we were charting who was taking how many charges. And then we, no matter what, if somebody took a charge in practice or a game, we showed it in front of the team. Every time we replayed it. I mean, Lucas had such a big charge in the Nevada game. I mean, it was absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. And there was a big one in the Kansas State game. And I just think you, you, you've got to achieve what you emphasize through over and over and persistence of showing them it eventually. And I, I love what Brennan Sir says. You know, it's not the buy-in, it's the believe-in. Right. Believe-in is so much more, more powerful than a buy-in. Because a buy-in can be superficial. You know, I, I got a buy-in. All right, here, I'm, I'm invested. I, I bought in. I'm fine. I'm in. You know, a believe in is when you believe in the cause, you believe in everything around there. And I think that you have to feed that and, and cultivate that. And, and that is huge. And, and, you know, you talked about you're a constant learner. Okay. And that was one of the things you picked up from Brendan when you did his podcast with him. And, and that's huge. Leave our listener with this three books that you would recommend to someone in the business world or any, any walk of life that will help them raise their level of success? Three books. Well, I'm, a, I'm a, just, a, just a humongous fan of anything John Gordon wrote. Right. Um, I got to know him. It just, I connect with positive, high-energy people. and there, I don't think there's a, you know, for him, I think he's unbelievable with the books uh, that he wrote. I, I, I make everybody around me here read The Energy Bus. Um, everybody in our program has, has got, a, I, I have a copy of my order to just a ton of them. Um, our freshmen come on, they get them. Our manager, we get a new manager, a secretary, so our ticket guy, no matter who, everybody's reading that. Um, I love Pete Carroll's, um, you know, win forever. Yep. Uh, we, we can do a whole podcast on what that book meant to me, um, and how I did some things and not as much as a book, but as a, another person I would follow on Twitter or go here is Eric Thomas. Eric Thomas is um, just one of the most inspiring guys I've ever been around. Um, he has spoke to our teams. You can follow him on Twitter. I think he's uh, as powerful and as moving and as motivating a speaker as you could ever listen to. Um, and he's so genuine, his story, his journey, um, his heart. Uh, and I, I can't say enough about him. And, and what, what, what I think he's, I, I would follow him on Twitter and, and listen to any podcast he's ever on. All right. Thanks. You, you just added a ton of value and um, unbelievable. And, and I'm going to have to take you up on that offer at some point, uh, maybe before the season starts, end of the summer. I know you have a lot coming up. Let's do a podcast and, and let's dive into, because I remember when you told me about the Pete Carroll book, it was right after the Missouri Valley tournament. And I think I read it in about a day and a half. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, there's so much, so much there. So Porter, thanks. Uh, this was, thanks Eddie. This was awesome. Take care. Thank you for listening to the athletics of business. Be sure to give us a rating and review. So we know how we're doing for more information about the show. Visit the athletics of Now get out there, think, act, and execute at the highest level to unleash your greatness. 